Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, May 15th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered these tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Cheney Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. From that page, you can also click a link and download uh, the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also download a whole host of audio files or shows just like this one, that have been curated out by Jeannie from the last 12 years of archives, which are also available. But there's a host of files where people have actually been stepped through the worksheet process or talking about the specifics that allow this process to be as powerful as it is. And if you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefits from the use of these tools in the shortest amount of time. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. 
It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it's been our experience that the more people actively apply these tools in their lives, the better their life experience and relationships are. Secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1 on your phone. It'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And we appreciate when people do that as well because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And if you would let us know how these things are landing for you, what's working and what isn't in the way we're moving forward with these shows, it would make it easier for us to live into that intention. And this is a Monday. We have plenty of time for comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you would like to submit a comment or a question or an answer or a testimonial, and you'd prefer not to call live, you can send me an email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. We get those comments or questions. We will address them on the air and then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time it was addressed on the show, and then you can listen back to the archives for the response or the feedback. So this is a Monday. It has been quite a full weekend, and... um, will be a relatively short week. I'll do a show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then Friday there will be there will be an uh let's see, what did I what did I send? I sent Jeannie a list of shows to play. So on Friday I will air the Pierre Prattervand interview that I did on May 8th of this year regarding his newest book, The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment. And then through the week next week, I will have her air interviews I did with Laura McGowan on Monday, with Carol Murko on Tuesday, and with Brooke Seam on Wednesday, and then a replay of the Guy Finley interview I did a couple years ago, and then a recent show that I thought was so good I've listened to it several times from May 10th of this month, this year. And then on uh, Memorial Day, I'll have her play the replay of the Dale Allen Hoffman interview. So 
That's what the lineup is going to be. We'll be live through Thursday this week. And then um, Friday will be the new Pierre Pratervand interview and a series of interviews next week, some of which haven't even been published yet on the uh, On Your Mind podcast. So it's kind of... Um, it's a bit of an exclusive here for um, for Mind Shifters Radio. So, please let us know how we can serve you. What's on your mind? What's been of benefit to you recently? I've had several people comment that that while they're not raising their hands and and asking questions or adding comments live on the air, I've received several comments that people are appreciating and enjoying the reading we're doing of A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg. And some people have hypothesized that it's kind of a, double-edged sword when I read these things because on the one hand people are enjoying it on the other hand they're not raising a hand as much they're not uh, they they fall into a rhythm or they think I've fallen into a rhythm and they don't want to interrupt so it's a, a double-edged sword because we I mean, if you if you look at the shows that have been curated out as highlight shows by Jeannie Rice, the vast majority of them are shows where people like you have called in and asked a question or asked to be stepped through a worksheet. Those are the things that become the highlight shows. And it's very rare, if not, if not uh, never, that a monologue by... Dr. Rice or myself, uh, by me, goes uh, into that category of a best of show. So, um, so you know, it's a double-edged sword. And um, since people haven't raised a hand yet, I will... Well, someone did just raise a hand, so I will welcome area code 541. Good morning, Dr. Kim. Hello, Solinda. It, it's it's your friend who is trying to remember that she has two ears and one mouth. <laughs> so I just thought, but I did want to make a, um, an additional comment to what she just said. Um, I think there, for me, I don't interrupt because I feel that I'm, absorbing so much and I don't want to miss anything and uh, you've been helping us uh, from what you said by the feedback and I don't see any problem at all with a monologue show if someone is not ready or wanting to raise their hand because they are so intent and focused on what is being said or what's being spoken to them I just wanted to share that for you. 
Okay. So continue on, continue on in any way that um, you are told to, and um, we uh, listeners will also, and when we're feeling the need to set up a hand, we will. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate that feedback, and I will mute you so you can listen. And I, uh, I just like to keep mentioning that even if I'm in the middle of reading something, it is absolutely appropriate to raise a hand, and by that we mean pressing one on your phone. So um, where I was going to pick up this reading from the book A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg was with a short essay that talks about love and fear in the context of unity. And the essay reads, at the most fundamental level, all life is connected to all life. All life is a part of all other life. Everything is unified at the most fundamental level. Yet, we choose to have the experience of the illusion of separation. Since being separate is not what is fundamental, fundamentally actually true, since that's the case, we suffer when we buy into that perspective of separation. When our local perspective or belief does not align with fundamental truth, we experience suffering. Suffering is a sign that we have embraced the illusion and forgotten ourselves within it. Beyond our forgetting, everything, all of everything remains connected. Unity is the underlying truth. This is why love and fear are the two great themes of spirituality. Love is inclusive, accepting, and unifying. Fear is dividing, rejecting, and separating. Love is the move towards what actually is. Fear is the move towards the illusion. And this reminds me of Abraham Hicks and the teaching that says, when you look at somebody and become upset, when you look at somebody and judge them with a negative evaluation and there's a tension or an anger or a hurt or a frustration within you, Abraham says, the reason you're feeling that negative energy and emotion, tension, constriction, etc., is because of the difference between the view and the conclusion and the interpretation you're holding of that person or that life event and the view and the interpretation that the source energy has for that life event. The source energy understands that everything is a part of creation. The source, the source energy is always coming from this inclusive, accepting, and unifying perspective that some would call love. 
This is why the way of mastery says love allows all things, love embraces all things, love trusts all things, love accepts all things, and thereby transcends all things. And so if source energy is looking at my brother or sister with love and compassion and acceptance and respect and awareness that anything that's coming out of them that's less than love is the the drug they're using to numb themselves out from their own pain, fear, or sadness. And source energy still holds that all-accepting, all-unifying, all-embracing, all-trusting, all-compassionate energy towards that other person. If I'm holding anything less than that, I feel the discord. So the upset I'm feeling is not caused by what this other person has said or done. The upset I'm feeling is because I'm not seeing them as their true nature. I'm buying into the, the belief of separation, the lie, the negative judgment, etc. Robert Palmer had a a song titled Addicted to Love. And the next essay, number 75, is titled Addicted to Form. This essay reads, Being able to be something while not being something else is an exciting and amazing opportunity for the spirit. Why? Because if you come back to this last essay, Everything is connected. So when we are at the level of spirit, before we've come into form, we have the experience of being part of all life and connected to all life. In that state of being, as spirit, we are not able to have an experience of being something as separate from something else. So being able to be something while not being something else is an exciting opportunity for the spirit. All that is, the energy of life and love and the one mind, can become even profoundly more when it, through you, can experience actually being and being this and not that. Creation gains meaning in this process. Right now, as you experience your own identity and circumstances, you are participating in that very valuable process. This is why Abraham says in so many of the Abraham Hicks talks, you, as humans, incarnating in form right now, you are at the cutting edge of creation. This essay goes on and says, as we participate in that process, we end up being deeply mired, stuck in the duality of being this and not that. We become so entrenched in the perception of duality And we focus on it so much that we become lost in it. We forget all else. We might even say that in a sense we are currently, quote, addicted, close quotes, addicted to form. 
we are often addicted to thinking, to defining, to quantifying, to identifying, I would add here to judging. It is common to be addicted to these things when one is existing in a dualistic reality such as ours. As such, stark dualism is a remarkably alluring and rich experience. However, it's worthwhile to note that while we are here, our larger state of being always transcends all of form. Our awareness itself spans incredible distances of time and space. In fact, all of the distances of time and space. It also transcends all of the this or that ideas that exist here on Earth. You may be completely focused on the form, but in fact, you are fundamentally free. Those statements are not just ideas. They attempt to describe your very actual nature of being, even if you have forgotten it. You can let go of form. You, as you are now, you are free enough to do that. You can let go of your judgments. You can let go of your needs. You can even let go of your thoughts themselves and just allow yourself to be exactly what is, just for the moment. You do not need to quantify or qualify anything at all. In fact, you may find that when you finally let go, the peace and joy available to you far surpasses any of the wonders available in beholding the stimulating dream that is before you. You have the ability to let go of form, let go of your judgments, let go of your needs, let go of your thoughts themselves. The fact of the matter is you don't need to quantify or qualify anything at all. You do not need to judge. And when you step into that, if you choose to step into that, breaking the addiction of form, and in this case, let's be clear, they're they're saying that all thought, all belief, all energy of the physical mind is part of form. This is, to my ear, eye and ear, this is the same message as the way of mastery where it says you need do nothing. And please interpret that statement that you need do nothing as an invitation to expand, to accept, to breathe into, to allow your freedom to choose in each moment you're you're free to choose what anything you wish including to choose to teach only love to share only your loving thoughts to recognize that you'll have all kinds of thoughts and some of them may not be very loving at all they may be very rooted in pain and fear and sadness and yet 
you always have the option to choose to teach only love. And that's one really good way to use the teaching that says you need do nothing. You're free to give up your judgments, your thoughts, your beliefs, your belief in separation. I'm I'm a bit distracted because I had a an experience over the weekend that just keeps coming to mind and I don't know what the relevance is but I'll just share it. I had a an occasion to go to the grocery store to get the vegetables and things that I would use for my primary sustenance this week. And as I pulled in the store parking lot, I realized that I would be parking as close to the front as I can because of the status with my leg and the physical therapy and all that stuff. And yet, as soon as I pulled in the parking lot, something caught my eye at the far end, way as far away from the store as there are cars parked. So I stopped the car, backed up, and looked, and sure enough, it looked like it might be somebody's wallet. So I put the car in park, put the flashers on, got out of the car, went over, picked it up. Yep, it's a wallet. And yep, it's got somebody's driver's license in it. So got back in the car, drove all the far to the far end up by the store, parked as close to the store as I could, got out, had my cane, walking carefully, watching every step as I want to do these days. And as I entered the store, I didn't even get a card. I just was going to go right to the customer service desk because my mind was telling me the quicker I get this to the customer service desk and the quicker they start announcing this person's name to call them to the front of the store, the greater the odds we're actually going to reunite this person with their wallet while they're still in the store. As I took a few steps inside the store, a store employee came over and said, can I help you? And I said, yes, you can probably get this to the customer service desk faster than I can. It's somebody's wallet. I found it outside next to this little car at the far end of the parking lot. And she gladly took it and headed off towards the customer service desk. And then I went and got my cart and went about get doing my shopping. And there were several times as I was doing my shopping where I thought, it's odd, I didn't hear them announce, you know, John Doe, please come to the customer service. If there's a John Doe in the store, please come to the customer service. I didn't hear that. But I just kept doing my my shopping and there were at least two different things that I added to my list and I had to go back down an aisle and and go over several more aisles and double back and and then eventually I made it to the front of the store and it's a Saturday it was a, a very very busy day and they had like nine different aisles open plus a self checkout and 
and the nine out of the 12 or 15 that they have weren't all right by themselves. They weren't all, so there were some, some that weren't open, and, and I just went that what was convenient for me when I came out of the last aisle, which is, you know, I don't know, one of 10 different options. And then I waited, and there were two people in front of me unloading their stuff, and they went, and I went. And all the while I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of odd that they haven't made an announcement over the PA system. But I just kept saying, well, I'll let it go. And as I was there waiting for the woman to be done in front of me, the cashier to my right, who was close enough for me to touch with my elbow if I pushed it out from my from my side, she said, it'll be this much money. And the guy she was talking to said, um, oh, listen, can you hold that for me? I left my money at home. And I said over the cashier's shoulder, did you lose your wallet? And he looked up to me like, I was, you know, butting in where I wasn't needed. And and he said, I left my money at home. I said, did you lose your wallet? Is it possible that you dropped your wallet outside? Because I took a wallet to the service desk, and you should go over and check with them. And sure enough, it was him. <laughs> what are the odds, right? All of the things that had to come together. It was him, and he was—he just kept saying, "That's just good karma. That's just good karma." So then he followed me out, and outside the store, we pulled our carts over, and he wanted to tell me the story. He has a twin brother in another state, and he was just down there celebrating their birthdays, and they saw this woman who looked confused, and they said, "Can we help you?" And the next thing you know, the person that I returned the wallet to ended up paying for this woman to stay a night in a motel and helping her make the connections she needed to get where she needed to go. And that's why he kept saying it's just good karma, because he had done that three days before. So I don't know why, but that story was just niggling at my brain and and making it difficult to concentrate on the reading, so I thought I would share it and just get it out there. Sometimes I have people that want to argue against the idea that there's a lot more good going on in the world than than the conflict and the strife and the hurt and the confusion. So uh, I I have a tendency to observe the opposite. And um, if indeed the only thing that was happening in this world is what we see on the television and the news we would have ground to a halt or or pushed ourselves to extinction long, long ago. So, anyway, that's just a story, just a minor distraction, probably not relevant, but now, but now it's out there. <laughs> the next essay in this book, A Walk in the Physical, is titled... Breaking the Chain of Hurt. The essay reads, One of the reasons we're not condemned for our suboptimal choices is that God 
light, love, all that is, the one mind, consciousness, understands that we are often acting from a place where we ourselves have not received the love that we need. Now, I would amend that to say that we ourselves are not focused on our true nature as love, that we ourselves are living in the dream of separation and convincing ourselves that we're separate from the, the source of all creation and love. This essay goes on and says, Others act unlovingly, and we become hurt, and then make choices from the resulting darkness, and our choices end up hurting others. We buy into negative self-perceptions because others communicated them to us. Indeed, God, light, love, consciousness, has great compassion for the many ways in which we have not been aware of our true nature as love. Yet, often, we do not practice compassion with ourselves. When others hurt us, it is often not about us. It's about them. It's always about them. Whatever comes out of another person, whether it's an act, action or a thought or a statement, is about what's going on inside of them. These other people are dealing with their own life situation, their own circumstances, their own constraints, their own beliefs, and perhaps most importantly, the pain of their own experience of lack of love. Those that do hurtful things towards us are simply acting from their own place of lack of awareness of love. The pain gets passed along in a chain, often from one generation to the next. But all the pain, all the failings, all the fearful actions and judgments and hurtful words are arising from a place of lack of awareness of love. We can break that chain. We can be brave enough to see hurtful actions for what they are. Lack of awareness of love. Ignorance of love. Others do hurtful things because they hurt. They hurt because they are temporarily blind to the love that is so nurturing to their soul. Rather than allowing ourselves to perpetuate the hurt, we can choose instead to see hurtful actions for what they are. Simple acts driven by the ignorance of love. And we can put these things aside. We can decide, rather than letting them bring us down, we can choose to respond with love. We can teach only love. We can extend love. We can speak only our loving words and act in love. We can choose to love ourselves in the face of hurtful actions, and we can also even choose to love those who hurt us while they are acting from their place of lack of love. Now, to have good regulatory speech for Michael Rice's benefit, we would say we can choose, rather than to let them bring us down, we can choose to respond with love. 
we can choose to extend love to ourselves in the face of hurtful actions, and we can choose to extend love to those who are doing hurtful actions, even while they're acting from their place of lack of awareness of love. This is a truly powerful choice. For choosing to meet the hurtful actions of another with love meets the problem at its source. It meets the hurt by giving it what it actually needs, love. Doing so allows the powerful light of source to slip into any situation. And when that happens, miracles can and do happen. We can break the chain of hurt, and all it takes is our own choice to meet the ignorance of love with the extension of love. This is, you know, so close to what is talked about in the Way of Mastery Lesson 3, where it says, if, what if you chose to act in the way that sounds crazy to the world, and when somebody breaks into your house or your apartment and steals your stereo or some other deity that you love, something physical that you have so much attachment to. What if you chose to see them as another being of brilliance and light, another brother or sister just like you, who's yet to discover or has temporarily forgotten their brilliance? Or to see them as somebody who's acting from the pain that comes from living in the illusion of separation, the pain that comes from forgetting their true nature. And if someone is experiencing that pain that comes from the forgetting of their true nature as love, forgetting their ability to meet all of their needs at any time without doing harm to anybody else, the solution to that pain and that experience that is painful is simply the conscious awareness of the truth of life and their true nature, which is why it says you can shine the light of source and bring the loving energy of source to the person who's sitting in the darkness of their own awareness, believing falsely that they're separated from love and from their source. The next essay is titled, The Extremes of Duality as Expressions of Love. And the essay reads, The rigorous cruelties of the world are not signs that reality is ultimately harsh and uncaring. Rather, they are demonstrations of the incredible links to which love will go in the name of creation and experience. As we lose ourselves in the experience of duality, including its many seemingly darker aspects, it's easy to see the extremes of our experience in form and subsequently reach some 
form-based nihilistic or existential conclusion about the nature of existence. In other words, we can reach a false conclusion about the nature of existence that comes only from this very limited perspective of form. The essay goes on and says, we may correctly identify that form does not hold the answer, even as we forget the much, much deeper meaning of our experience here. In fact, the extremes of this world have been created in a spirit of love, joy, and even play, not in a spirit of heaviness, necessity, and misery. We have become so lost in the duality, however, that we experience much of the darkness, the duality, the heaviness, the mystery, I'm sorry, the misery. We've become so lost in the duality that we have forgotten ourselves, and when we do that, we suffer. And yet, consistently, the enduring nature of love never tires of standing firm. It waits for us, even silently around every corner and every experience. We may see terror, but even the opportunity to see terror is ultimately a profound gift of love. The ability to add to creation through the experience of deep contrast is a gift of love. The ego rejects this, but the ego does not see the interconnectedness and purity of love that has given birth to the valuable experience of contrast that operates around and within the ego. Thus, when you decide to step past your own ego, to stop fighting what is, and to just be fully present with your experience without judgment or rejection, you permit yourself to take a step backwards, being personally aware of the more fundamental loving nature of existence. And I get it, this is tough to do. I'm I'm learning over time how deeply entrenched I was in the beliefs about right and wrong, good and bad us versus them, dark versus light. And yet, there's clearly a lot more going on here than meets the eye. There was that line from City of Angels where an angel was in this movie. Angels would come down to guide someone when it's time for them to die on into the next life. And Nicolas Cage was playing the role of this one angel and some Meg Ryan or some beautiful uh, female was playing the role of the surgeon who was the crackerjack surgeon, never lost a patient, all that good stuff. And Nicolas Cage was there to assist the soul of the patient that she was operating on into the next life. And when the patient died and the soul ascended, the surgeon was just beside herself and raging that 
this wasn't supposed to happen. I did everything right. There was nothing wrong with this person. This person wasn't supposed to die. And the line from the movie that was so poignant was that Nicholas Cage, as the angel, said to the surgeon, listen, there's a lot more going on here than you know about. That's us in life. That's us at another level just focusing on the physical. Not even having any acknowledgement of a spiritual or a mental and emotional that transcends the physical. And it is a stretch, especially when we first begin to step into this questioning. If all we've ever been taught and all we've ever focused on has been the physical, it's quite a stretch to start expressing the possibility that there's more going on here than the simple cause and effect that we can infer when we see one physical object influence another physical object. Young would call it synchronicity. What's the definition for synchronicity in Jung's terms? It's when this flow of life that seems so chaotic and disconnected is seen to have connections. The synchronicity is that I think about a friend that I haven't spoken to in years and within you know, minutes, hours, or days of me thinking of them strongly, they reach out with a text or an email or a phone call. Another experience of synchronicity would be what the story I just relayed in the, in the store. Out of all the possible places for that person to be, out of all the possible ways that I turned through that store. It's a big store. It's got, you know, 30-some aisles in it. And out of all those places and twists and turns, and out of all of the timing, I don't know how long that wallet sat there before I saw it. It might have been just a couple minutes. It might have been half an hour and yet we end up leaving the store at exactly the same time and choosing aisles next to each other to check out in so that's an idea about keeping my my vision my knowing wide open and living in question what's What's the connection? How could that possibly happen? Why would that happen? I don't need to know why. How could it happen? I don't need to know how. I just need to know that things like that are happening all the time. And my life goes better when I live in that open questioning state. It, it allows me to see more of those 
coincidences, synchronicities, miracles, call them what you will. But when I walk around thinking, I know what life is, I know what's supposed to happen, this is supposed to happen now, and then that's supposed to happen, and then when it doesn't, I generate upset and anger and frustration, and I say, this is bad, this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening this way. What I do to my vision, my field of vision and my ability to perceive is I I clamp them down brutally. So I restrict my field of vision, and I'm not able to see these wonderful coincidences, miracles, and synchronicities. But if I stay open, it flows. I see them more. I notice them when I see them. There's all kinds of things we've talked about in the way of mastery. It talked about the idea of experiencing things and doing things and not even experiencing them, right? I mean, there have been times, I know for an absolute fact, there have been times in my life where I've driven by things like that wallet on the ground and it's registered in my eyesight because, you know, lights bounced off of that object and hit my eye, but it hasn't registered in my brain. The way of mastery is the idea of um, we've left the house on a Saturday, running a whole bunch of errands, told our loved one we'll be back at such and such a time after, you know, an approximate time after we're doing all these errands, and we're probably going to stop by our favorite ice cream shop and, and have a have a little treat. And with the hustle and the bustle and the busy and the traffic and the adding a couple things to my to-do list, and at the end of it all, I end up back at home. And my partner asks, so how was the day? Great. Did you get everything done? Yeah. Did you stop for ice cream? Yeah. What did you have? Uh, What did I have? And I have to stop and think about what I had. Did I have the ice cream? Yes. Did I experience it? Not really. I didn't even slow down and make that like a Japanese tea ceremony a specific focus for that period of time without distraction. So can I experience life more fully if I slow down? Yes. Can I experience life more fully if I understand that there's more going on here than I can possibly track with my five senses? Yes. Can I experience more life more fully if I stay in the open space of questioning? Absolutely. And every time I think I know an answer, I cut off the possibility of learning. The state of the mind, and and this is wonderful because we've got these devices these days that can track mind energy, whether it's an EEG neurofeedback or functional MRI. They can watch what happens in the mind, in the brain, I should say, when we reach a conclusion. And when we're in a questioning state, there's all kinds of neurons firing in all kinds of places in the brain. 
And when we decide we've reached a conclusion, it, the pattern changes, and there's less activity in certain parts of the brain, and you can actually see things shutting down. So we are far more likely to experience life more fully and more joyfully if we live in the questioning state. And that's the only space from which we can learn anything new. So if we're not yet at a place where we can comfortably say that we know everything, it makes really good sense to stay as open as possible to learn to live in the question and to keep the possibility of learning new things, not just every day, but every moment, as our experience of life. Keep that option open. Keep that option open. I also um, just started listening to the book by um, Richard Schwartz. It's the uh, he's the creator of um, the the school of thought that is called Internal Family Systems (IFS) and um, It's a very solid way to start working with somebody, to conceptualize that each of us has multiple parts or perspectives or aspects of ourselves. And when any one particular aspect is activated, it's going to you know, run the day. It's going to run the show while it's, while it's most active. His newest book is, You Are the One You've Been Waiting For. And it's about applying the system of internal family systems to intimate relationships. And it's wonderful for me because I've gotten some flack over the years because when I work with couples, I work with individuals trying to help them become their own source of comfort and inner security and strength to tap into their own knowing of their true nature and then extending that loving energy or that true nature to their partner and everyone else. And I've gotten some flack for that over the years because, well, that's not really couples therapy and you're supposed to be helping him plan out how he can do things differently to make her feel better and her plan out things so she can do things differently to make her partner feel better, et cetera. And I have never seen it be effective long-term. Short term, yes, but it's kind of like this treating the symptoms. And I have been working for decades now trying to help people understand that if you're looking outside of yourself to satisfy your emotional needs, you're doomed. You are doing what Michael Rice would call establishing a codependent relationship. You're thinking, speaking, and acting as though people outside of you are responsible for your emotions, and you'll feel better when they do this, that, and the other thing differently. Well, Richard Swartz, in this new book, 
is starting out with the exact same approach that I've been catching so much flack for over the years, and that is that the individual has to be able to make peace with their parts, as he talks about them, and understand that each of those parts is there trying to fulfill a loving purpose. And when that loving purpose is understood and the parts are heard and when the unproductive ways of meeting those needs have been transformed into more productive ways of meeting those needs, people get happier. And a happy person in a relationship with another person brings a happy person to the table. And hopefully the partner will also find a way to make peace with his or her parts and get happy in and of themselves and bring a happy person to the table. And now we have two happy people enjoying each other's company. We have two people grounded in the truth of their own being and knowing their value and loving and respecting themselves interacting with another person who loves and respects themselves. So I've read the Internal Family Systems book a long time ago, and now I'm anticipating this is going to be even better for my purposes because it's going to be talking about and validating the same kind of thing I've been trying to do with people for decades, which catches some flack at different times because it's not uh, the problem-solving and it's not the help this person change so that I'm happy with them approach to therapy. But I will keep you posted as we read more of that book. If I think there are parts that are valuable for sharing, I will do that. And in the meantime, I will be back again tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday. And again on Friday, it will be a re- it'll be the play of um, the, the Pierre Prattervan interview about his new book, The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment. In the meantime, I'll invite us all to remember that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Jim. I was just looking. There's actually a verse also in The Course in Miracles that talks about something like you're the one that you've been looking for or something like that. Yeah, it is. it, it comes through almost a verbatim in that phrase. I know some songs that have that in their title and yeah. lyrics. So, All right. Well, have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today's Monday, May the 15th, 2023. And their calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to get dialed in. And uh, if you're in the chat room, I apologize. It just kicked me out again. So I'm trying to get back in there as well. So it's still, I don't know what their deal is on that, but I'll send another message to blog talk again. So we welcome you to MindShifters Radio. And um, 
we, Michael and I both have talked to several people the last few days, um, and it seems like there's a theme. So I've asked Michael if he will address that when he gets on. Um, so if you have a question, once we start talking about it, all you have to do is press 1. That puts a hand up, and we can listen to your questions. You can direct how you want the show to go, or if you have something that you know you disagree with or you don't understand. That's what the show is for, and we'd love to hear from you. I hope all of you mothers had an awesome Mother's Day yesterday. Um, Ryan had to work, but uh, Gabby, our daughter in love, uh, took us out on a boat, and we spent the afternoon on the lake, and that was really nice and relaxing and got a little bit of sun. and It was cloudy, but we still got a little bit of sun on our bodies, and so that was awesome. Get that vitamin D. And... Uh, I invite you to go to the website, whyagain.org, and if you find anything, I know I've said this before, but if you find anything that's not working or you have a challenge finding, please drop me a line at genie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, and let me know what you're looking for, and I will assist you in locating it, or I'll put it in a different place where it's easier for you to find I know our website's really large, and sometimes it's hard to navigate. Actually, if you go on, on the website underneath Schedule, you'll also find the instructional videos to navigate both the website and the app. So if you click on that, you can watch, you know, one of them's about an hour long, the other one's a little over a half hour long, and they direct you where you can find some of the key points on the website and how to use the app. And Michael's with us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. I am here, and welcome, everybody. Delighted and honored that you're here. And I heard you starting to do a little bit of an introduction, sweetie, on the idea of beliefs. So do you want to just run a little more of that past us, and let's make that our takeoff point, unless we've got a hand up. Oh, we do not have a hand up. And so actually I was telling them we've had like three three or four different people that we've talked to lately, and all of their conversation seems to be around belief. Uh, one person said that, um, you know, they were told that if you believe in it, that it's going to happen. And that, you know, what you don't want, you know, just put your thoughts somewhere else, and that won't happen. And another person said... Um, they didn't really want to look at what was going on inside because then they felt like that was putting energy to it and they believed that that would make it come about what they didn't want to happen and or that it would be like if they didn't put energy in it or look at it, that that was like saying they accepted the downfall and that the downfall would be opposite of what they really wanted. Third person that we talked with, third and fourth person both, was that they believed what another person said about them, whether it was true or not true. And we've all done that at, at some time, you know, that we're not worthy or we're not good enough or whatever. But in their case, someone was talking them into a disease that they didn't have, but they believed in this person, so they believed, well, they know better, so I must really have that disease. So all of this, it seems like it was around the theme of belief and whether believing in something made something come true or not come true. They're both sides of that spectrum. So if you could add to that. Right. 
Well, there's a lot of confusion in the world uh, about what belief is. Uh, many people think a belief is just a thought, and that's not accurate. A belief is actually a whole complex of thoughts. And some of the thoughts in a particular belief might be conflicting thoughts. So the, the belief stands divided against itself. Yeshua talked about that a couple thousand years ago. And he spoke about how a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so and, and it, on the other end of the spectrum, there was this person says, well, nothing can happen to me or nothing can work to heal me if I don't believe it. And it's like, well... Actually, you need to maybe adjust that a little bit to really comprehend the way the universe works. They had someone they had a great deal of faith in that told them that. It's like, well, your faith will be more powerful than, than what that person told you. As a, and the example that I used as well, I have uh, some hydrochloric acid here. We're going to pour it on the skin of this person who doesn't believe and we'll see if it burns. It's like, well, this has got nothing to do with it. There are certain energetic interactions in the universe that happen, and that's the way it is. Is it possible we could rise above those interactions? Yes, I believe it is. But just on a natural level, there are certain interactions that are going to happen, whether we believe in them or not, whether we like it or not. Certain energy interactions produce certain results, belief or no belief. And when we recognize, like, for instance, gee, I realize this is in me and I don't want to deal with it, therefore I'm going to ignore it, so then if I ignore it, it won't happen. It's like, well, by ignoring it, what did you just do? You just gave it attention. What you give attention to strengthens in the way of energy. Now, Yeshua talked about this principle as well 2,000 years ago. There's so much there when you go to the Aramaic that is just totally and completely missed out by the Greeks, and it's just, you know, here's how it works, here's where you live. And he made the statement, let thine eye be single, and thy body will be filled with light. Well, what the heck does that mean? Well, that's a statement of physics. You know, if we talk to the uh, latest professors of physics in the world, they'll tell us that matter, so-called matter, is light energy reduced in its rate of vibration. It isn't matter at all. <clears throat> it's simply energy. And so... What kind of energy is it? If we go to the opening words in the book of John, we're told not in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh, but in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. What was being explained to us was the creative process that each of us naturally engages in with our thoughts. And the, the power of that system is, you know, if you don't believe it, you're right. And if you believe it, you're right. And there are limitations to that because there are natural energetic interactions that happen regardless of what the mind is doing with a particular situation or circumstance. So there's some of the, the refinements, but that idea that recognizing in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. What, uh, if you do some research on Bruce Lipton's work, what you find is Bruce has proven in the laboratory that when you think a thought, the thought produces a molecule called a neuropeptide. That neuropeptide, literally something that was non-physical a moment ago, at least did not appear in what we call the physical realm, all of a sudden appears to exist in the physical. That is, our senses can pick it up. So when we recognize that mind energy is behind all of it, 
then if there's something that I fear to look at in me because I might bring it about, well, I just looked at it and I just put a vote in for it happening. And the idea of forgiveness is to be willing and able to embrace everything that's in you, no matter what it is. And by embracing it, especially embracing it from a posture of strength, which is a posture of love, whatever we hold in the way of mind energy within our structures that is not true in the actuality of the universe, when we bring it forward in the presence of love, it dissolves. When we push it away because we have fear about it, and you listen to this man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, and repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly says, fear not, fear not, fear not, because fear is an energy amplifier that brings about what it is we have fear about. You listen to uh, old Job. You know, his whole story is that of a healing crisis. And after all the horrendous stuff he goes through, he comes down to an understanding and explains what it is that was going on. He says, that which I feared most has come upon me. And if you go back and read that book, you'll hear he starts out with how great, how righteous and upright a man he was, but he was afraid his kids were not quite so good, (laughs) didn't have the same integrity that he had. And that fear became the creative force in his life that just about destroyed him. Fortunately, he was able to stay conscious, took the lesson, saw what the healing crisis looked like, what he had to work through, what he had to let go of, and make a turnaround. And so the objective of this work, rather than there's something that might be inside of me that I'm running from, and therefore, what are some of the signals that show people are running from something that's inside of them? Well, alcohol and drugs, for one. By the way, Jeannie, we went past that sign on the way back and didn't get a picture of it. But uh, it was interesting. On our, we were delivering a piece of equipment today, uh, this morning, and, and drove past a pot store. You know, here we are in Bristol, Tennessee, Virginia, and good old Baptist community where when Jeannie first moved here, you know, they had blue laws. Stores didn't even open on Sundays. But here there are pot stores popping up all over. And there was a sign, I don't remember exactly what it said, it was like, I'd like to get a picture of that because it's just part of the brainwash and part of what's being normalized in our culture. It's like, why wouldn't somebody want to have a natural brain that functions as it's designed to? Why would someone want to alter the function of their brain with a chemical that has some pretty deleterious effects on the structure? But anyway, there was a sign, and of course, Mother's Day was Sunday, and it was something about even mommy likes to get turned on. So advertising that, you know, a good gift for your mother for Mother's Day might be a little THC, a little pot. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. So anyway, just looking at the way the culture normalizes things and you know if you're a a dedicated television watcher 
disease and the use of drugs to try to deal with the symptoms of disease has become normalized to where it has become acceptable to so well that's just what is that's how you heal and yet those drugs are every one of them substances that produce diseases in the structure yes it might shut down some symptoms so things look better but the accompaniment of the shutting down of those symptoms that somebody doesn't want is a whole new series of diseases and they're well and deeply entrenched in at work in making it acceptable and normal to you know offer mom drugs for mother's day mind-altering chemicals to me that's just a little bit on the bizarre side so yes as we believe it it will be done and there are limitations to that unless you know maybe you're one of the highest you know beings to ever come to earth i know there's a story that um ram das tells back from back in his lsd days and uh he had a guru and he served his guru enough i think it was lsd uh he said to knock out an elephant and his guru took the lsd and just sat there unaffected and said well you know what next is there have you got more <laughs> so is there a level where we could transmute absolutely everything and anything i believe there is but if you try to do that prematurely you're probably in difficulty so understand the way the energetic world works how you function from within it and if you find something that produces deleterious effects there's the place to apply forgiveness to remove the energetic patterns that result in disease processes within the structure within your life so is that kind of the direction you were thinking of heading with those ideas and you have any more thoughts about it sweetie no that's good um i, th- I will uh, drop a line to the ones that i had been talking to and tell them to listen to the show because um you know sometimes they hear it from one person and it maybe rattles some brain cells hear it from another person or another even another modality and it resonates yes. something different so maybe they'll uh tune in and listen to it and uh, get it okay. that's a good thought and as you're talking about different modalities and learning you know there's a chapter in the book why is this happening to me again on what is learning and recognizing that perception is a construct of the mind if somebody has a concept to offer and they present it to another person that other person's mind can only inject that into perception if they have the brain cells to do that if there're no brain cells you'd look at that person and speaking go you know it's like you're talking you know moon language or something no brain cells mind cannot recreate what another person is speaking of 
So the learning process is one of building brain cells, and the corollary to that is forgiving the content of brain cells, and the word forgiveness there means the removal of the content of brain cells so that the mind isn't locked into a particular patterned perception that is inaccurate about the truth of life. And so it's a, a, a journey that goes in both directions, yes. Building the brain cells for truth so that when we look at it, it becomes apparent. You know, you've, you've heard me use the example before of, I had ordered, this goes back, oh, 30 years ago, and the uh, gentleman that uh, Michael J., my son, went to study computers with in Kansas City was a former NASA computer scientist and just an absolute genius. I mean, this guy was amazing. And he had several businesses. And I had ordered a new computer, got it, and it didn't work properly, and spent several hours on the phone, a couple, three hours on the phone with technical support, and they couldn't fix it, so they asked me to send the computer back. So I boxed the computer up, and I send it back, and they ostensibly fix it. They returned the computer to me. I turned on, and it's got the same problem. So again, I'm on the phone with tech support. Oh, well, send it back again. Oh, okay, I send it back again. And I get the computer back, and it still doesn't work. So kind of in a state of frustration, I call Graham, Michael J's computer teacher, who's the former NASA computer scientist, and I explain what's going on. And he says, okay, he said, go to a C-prompt. And that was back in the early, early days for me of computers. I didn't know what a C-prompt was. So he finally explained, got me to open the computer, turn it on and get to a C-prompt. And then he had me type in a string of characters and hit a return, which I did. And I said, okay, read back what it says. And so I read it back to him. And he said, okay, type in this string of characters, which I did. I said, hit a return, read it back to me. I read it back to him. He said, okay, type this in and your computer's fixed. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, Graham, now you're certainly, you're, you're kidding. You're, you don't really mean, Michael, your computer's fixed. Okay, well, my computer was fixed. Now, I didn't have a clue what he was telling me to type into the computer. I had no brain cells for it. If I had the brain cells when he gave me that string of letters, I would have known exactly what that, those letters were doing, what command it was giving, but I didn't have the brain cells for that. So my brain and my mind could not generate any logical, rational understanding of what he told me to do. I just did it. And in three steps, the computer that had been back to the manufacturer twice, and you would think the manufacturer would have had the brain cells for what was going on with it, but they didn't. But such a deep interaction with computers, having for years worked for NASA as a computer scientist, he had the brain cells to look at anything to do with computers and comprehend what was going on. People want to look at their lives and comprehend what's going on, but they don't want to take the time to build the brain cells that it takes to do that. And if you're really truly going to do your work, if you're really truly going to clean up your mind, yes, you can go to somebody who's an expert. You can, you know, like I went to Graham, I don't have the brain cells for what's going on with this computer. You do, and he walked me through it. We're here on this show. Yeah, I've spent the last 50 years understanding the mind, how it works, how forgiveness relates, 
in how all of these tools teach relate to how to improve one's life. So I'm, I'm not suggesting you have to sit around for 50 years full time in order to build the brain cells. I've done the best I can do to shortcut that process so that with as little interaction as possible, you can build a mind that knows how to respond in your highest and best interest in a world that has structured into your mind the brain cells from authorities and different figures who really don't have your best interests at heart. In fact, have programmed your mind, so to speak, have put brain cells or offered content that becomes part of our own brain cell structure that is destructive, deleterious, and doesn't uplift us to our highest possibility. And most people hear, yeah, that's great. I want it all. But their response is kind of like, well, I've got five bucks and five minutes. Tell me everything you know. Well, five bucks and five minutes is not going to get you everything that I know. Any more than five bucks and five minutes would have gotten me everything that Graham knew about computers. Bless his heart, he's since passed. What is it that it takes to build the brain cells? It takes interaction with the source of information that can lead you to higher places in terms of your own brain cell content. And as you comprehend the tools, as you comprehend what's going on, then all kinds of misunderstandings and misappropriation of action and resources happens. You get to clean up the past in your mind. You get to remove the things that in many cases have been pounded in through pain and trauma, and they were pounded in through pain and trauma because the people who were pounding them in wanted to make sure that we were stuck in that particular construct of the mind. What we're saying is that absolute liberty is key. Not freedom. Freedom is a different thing than liberty. You notice they didn't have a freedom bell at the founding of the country. It was a liberty bell. Most people want freedom. I want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it without consequences. Well, excuse me? There is no such thing. You have liberty. You have the liberty to do whatever you want when you want to do it, and there are going to be results. There are going to be consequences. There is no freedom. People want to be free from the effects of the insanities they engage in. And it's just against the law. It's, it goes totally and completely contra to what works. And so we're here to offer the tools and the support for building the brain cells for understanding. And until those brain cells are built, supporting you in walking through and working through whatever it is that's challenged you in your world. So we're honored and delighted to, uh, to be playing that role. It's our purpose in the world, and it delights us to engage. And so we're going to invite your engagement. If, uh, if you've got a question, a thought for us, any questions about the tools, something you need support with, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our dial-in number is 563-999-3581. It's 563-999-3581. 
If you dial that number, you're listening directly to the show on Blog Talk Radio. And then if you push one, that raises a handle in the control panel, and we'll be having a conversation. So honored and delighted that you're here to be part of this conversation, and we've got about 26 or so minutes left for, pardon me, 36 minutes. 36. So we've got lots of room and for conversation. And we have a hand up. Yeah, 36. Let's go for it. Yay. All right. I believe this is Michael, 770. You're on the air. Hi, my friends. How are you today? Hey, we're rocking. How are you, Michael? Welcome. Wonderful. Thank been wondering you. about how Thank your you. how your uh, trip to Florida has been going. It's been well in in many cases, and Georgia was fine, and a lot of fun there with the grandchildren. Yes, indeed. Cool. And, and nobody's given you today, any opportunities so to learn forgiveness. Oh, yes. You sound loud and clear. Oh, good, good. That is good to know. So you haven't had any opportunities to learn forgiveness on this journey? I've had lots. Oh, really? Many. Oh, life is blessing you. Oh, cool. Yes, yes, just like you say. You'd almost think it was the purpose of life, wouldn't you? Yeah, just what you, what you have uh, mentioned in the past, uh, to kick us, right? Right square in the limitation. <laughs> yeah. Give us a little nudge to look at what we're holding on to that needs to be removed. Oh, boy, beautiful. Beautiful. I was realizing this yeah. morning as we were uh, we were out taking care of a couple of errands and someone had asked last week about this the presence of love and what it feels like and this morning it was kind of strong for me to be in that space and I could it was almost like my energy field my face and my chest were leading with what I would describe as the presence of physiological joy there located what I'd call physically in my body and it was just kind of a, a, for me, it was kind of a nice insight. It's like, okay, that's, somebody had asked the question last re- week and alerted my brain cells to, well, what are, how do we describe what the result is in a world that uh, doesn't have that in common experience? And so that was kind of my experience this morning as we were out, Jeannie was driving and I was a passenger just kind of in a quiet space. Nice. Very nice. So what's on your mind today, sir? How can we support you? Oh, lots. Thank you. Uh, very intrigued by the first half of the uh, show today and and last week. I believe I've caught most. I've got a couple, and i got a long ride today, so I will listen to the rest. But something I've been wanting to ask you for a while, Michael, is a question that was presented to me about how much questioning is good and does questioning ever get negative or put us in a space that uh, wouldn't be so well. And I'm wondering, as you probably know, I I question everything. And I I go deep when I'm intrigued by something and... And I guess I was going deep with this person, and, and, and so the question came up. 
maybe it's too much. So I'd like to hear what you have to say, please. Well, my take is that sometimes people ask questions not because they want answers, but because they have a statement to make. So they make their statement in the form of a question looking for agreement. That would be one piece I'd put in the space. The other is, you know, as you've seen over the year or so that you've been engaged with this work, there's a lot of intellectual information in it. And that intellectual information is not there for the sake of intellectual information. My take is that we're designed to live as human beings, and when the mind comes along and pops in, the mind, what we, the ancient teachings call the mind of man, pops in and starts asking questions, until its last question is answered, it's going to keep noise-making. It's going to keep interrupting us. It's going to keep doing its thing. So the key to me, yes, question everything, and then when the question's answered, let go of the need to question anymore and get on with life. You know, you've heard me say it before. Ultimately, with this work, you've got to be out of your mind, which means there's got to be an end of questions, and you get to the point where you just live in being. You live in and as the presence of love. And if you're not doing that, then the mind's going to pop question after question after question. And until its last question is satisfied, it's not going to shut its mouth. And then when it finally does, you're released from your mind, and you get to live in what the ancients called the mind of Christ, rather than the mind of man or the mind of the body. You know, in the scriptures they talk about the mind of man has not conceived of what lies in store. So my take is, and, you know, recently this new, um, I forget the fellow's name, but they named the new telescope that they put out in space that just goes, you know, like a, a thousand times more powerful than anything they've ever had before. And they're showing the us. Say it again. The Hubble. Oh, no, no. The Hubble is the old technology now. They've had this James, okay. the James, uh, what's his name, James. Anyway, it's, it's the new Hubble, and it's like oh, okay. showing universes 10,000 times. James Webb, look up the James Webb telescope. I mean, some of the shots uh, on it are just, when you get on a computer, are just amazing. And what they're showing, go on to YouTube and put in James Webb Telescope, and they're explaining, you know, different physicists are explaining what they're seeing, what they're understanding. It's like, you know, 100 billion trillion times what we even conceived of with the Hubble. And my take is that in our being, we're designed to comprehend all of that and be able to, from the original intelligence, interact with all of that. And that's, uh, to use an analogy, that's the size of being. And then we were given this symbol called a human body-mind unit. And we're trying to contain all of that in this symbol and understand it through that thing. 
and it's never going to even start to comprehend it, let alone understand it. So, yes, every question that the, the, the mind that is thimble-sized has, has to be answered in order to shut it up. And everything that it thinks it knows is just the merest shadow of what the actuality is that we are here to comprehend through the mind that was called not mystical, not religious, just the simple fact that the mind of love in us was called the mind of Christ, that we're designed to live out of that mind. And the mind of man, carbon-based memory, is never going to have a clue about that. But you can't shut it up by answering its questions. So that would be my take on it. And uh, and for your place on a telescope, I did not know that. I'm certainly welcome. I'll look that up. Oh, yeah, start out and watch... Go to YouTube and watch one of the videos on the design of it. I mean, it's just huge. They, I, I forget what the size of this thing is, but yards and yards and yards wide and, you know, all covered. It's a gold antenna, literally, for sensitivity. They've used gold. And, I mean, the ex- explanation of it and what it is and how they've done it, and it's just like light years beyond what Hubble ever thought of doing. And, of course, Hubble was the cat's meow in its day, but it's now you know, ancient technology. James Webb. I don't know who James Webb is. None of the videos, I've watched several videos on it, and none of them have explained who James Webb was. I assume he was a, you know, a giant astronomer, you know, somebody who was really a giant in the field, but I don't know who he was, that he he uh, was well-known enough to be have the telescope named after him, but some of the stuff they're showing is just like, you know, beyond comprehensible, just amazing. I just need. So with the questions, it sounds like motive is an issue in, in the background. That goal. Because if I'm questioning just to, how would you say, I, I think you mentioned something about debating or, or maybe that's my interpretation there. If I'm questioning yeah. just to continue a debate or something along those lines, was it? Exactly. Yeah, the, the word okay. debate means it comes from the root to beat. And people who want to debate are just in the debate to win. And, you know, there's no winning in that game. And there's no end to that game if that's where one lives. And And my take is that's one that comes from insecurity. So, it, you know, remember, all behavior of this human mind is based in goals. And so if you find your mind doing something that leaves you at a dead end, start looking at the goals driving it. So somebody who's got to win the debate or, you know, there's a statement in the culture about one political party owning, we're going to do anything to own that group of people. And that's all just a reflection of insecurity. And so the forgiveness work to be done in that regard would be so. So now I'm going to look at why do I think I need to be right? Why would I back up my need to be right with anger or rage or putting down a fellow human being, whoever it is? Why would I do that? Well, there's something in in me that's insecure, that is lacking something, and so that hole's trying to be filled, but it can never be filled. And the, and the last analysis is everything, you want to get the mind to the point where everything it engages is in 
it is fueled by the active presence of love. You know, essentially the question you're asking is a question I hear them asking in the Aramaic of Yeshua 2,000 years ago when they say, you know, what's most important in the law? And, and in essence, what they're saying is, if we want to really be human beings, what's that about? What do we have to do? What's at the root of that? And he doesn't say, love God, love neighbor as yourself. He says, have rachma, a condition in the mind that keeps the mind keyed to love when you think of the creator and neighbor. And by so doing, you maintain self. You get to maintain your human life when you make sure that your mind is fueled by love. If it's fueled by any goal that doesn't uh, produce a connection to love, then that's the mind that's going to leave people in drama and trauma and conflict and murder and, you know, everything else that goes on in our culture that's based in insanity and weakness. So make out your carbon-based memory a fit place for the mind of Christ to operate. The mind of love in you to operate would be kind of my bottom line statement. And love doesn't have to beat anybody, doesn't need to debate with anybody. You know, to me, like for instance, the question might be, let's say in the context of this metaphor of the universe, the question might be, okay, so here I am, in my pea brain body's mind and I want to understand what that star that's now a hundred million light years beyond what we ever saw before I want to understand how that star works and so someone might give an answer and the mind that's doing something based out of fear-based goals might want to fight with that and I you know I want to know I want more I want more I want more and the mind that's based in love is going to hear the answer, there's so many things you want to understand, you can't understand them, so let them go. And the mind that's based in love is going to go, oh, okay, I can let that go. And then that larger mind opens up where there is comprehension. And then when someone has that higher comprehension and tries to bring it into the world, there are no words for it. You know, Yeshua says to them when they're asking him questions, there's so many things I want to tell you, you can't hear them. Not, not with your pea brain, you can't. And so that's where literally forgiving the goals, canceling the goals of the mind in its various forms of hostility, fear, survival, self-protection, offensiveness, where those things have to go until that thing just shuts up. And then real life happens. Now that the mind has comprehended the truth of its limitation, there's room for real love. So I have a question. Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. Okay. Hey, how you doing, Michael? Um, so, like, you tell people on the radio show to call in and ask their questions because then that yes. helps us get the answers. So right. is that a different form of asking questions? No. No. As, as I said, you know, the intellectual journey can only take us so far. But once it starts asking, all its questions need to be answered. And then when they're answered, it can get quiet and we get on with the real thing. 
with what it's really all about. So all of us have started asking questions. What I've recognized is, and that's one of the reasons I've done the journey the way that I have, is, and, and those questions have to be answered before that thing can get out of the way. And then when it's out of the way, there's a whole new huge opening and a whole new huge space available. Does that make sense for your question, Jeannie? Yeah. It was, I was just, I guess, hearing it differently that as if asking questions was not a good thing, like it was just trying to argue and keep going or whatever, but I was just hearing well, it Well, not necessarily. It can, it can be. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, it's like there are two levels of being. There's the created essence of human life, which is love, and then there's the self in the mind. And what, I'm, what I've recognized for me and what I've, appears at least to be true to me over the decades of doing this is that once that mind starts to question, it has to have its answers, its questions answered in order for it to be still and be quiet. You know, you notice that directive is given, be still and know that I am, the creator says. But that mind can't be still as long as it's going, well, somebody told me God was this, somebody told me, somebody told me, somebody told me, that's true. So let's find the answers. Let's clean it up. And then we stand. There's a line in one piece of writing in, uh, that we do at the end of the intensive talks talks about naked and desolate we stand alone and that's when the questioning mind collapses and we can get on with the real thing but the in- intellectual journey itself to me the main reason for the intellectual journey to bring this whole conversation full circle is to get the intellect to get out of the way because it wants to know. Once it starts questioning, again, until its answers are answered, it's not going to shut up. And it becomes an interference for the real thing. Does that fit, sweetie? Yes. And what I thought of when uh, Michael was talking about um, that he was asking questions and someone was getting, uh, their frustration was coming up, um, that's probably just because it hit something in them that they haven't dealt with or because exactly. they don't have an answer and they don't want to admit they don't have the answer. It's like a child exactly. three saying, why? Well, why? Well, why? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but, but another good point, Michael, that I heard is I could have been questioning to, and I really have to reevaluate this, was I questioning yes. to make a point or to enter into debate? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, oftentimes, as I start out saying, questions are really not questions. They're answers put in the form of a question so it looks like it's a question, but it's not. It's really an answer looking for an agreement. Wow. Answering, looking for an agreement. Wow, wow. That's a heavy one. Yeah. Yeah, it goes to a pretty significant place as far as the mind journey goes. And, you know, 
it's like getting getting off of the mind journey onto the next level you know it's like if you're riding on a bus and you get to the bus station so you can get on the airplane you know there's a there's a place for the bus to get you to the airplane or to the airport but the airplane to a whole different mode of transportation living experiencing and functioning from this created essence we are of pure presence of love is a whole different thing than anything the intellect can even comprehend. Yeah. And so when you get the intellect, the brain cells to recognize the intellect can't comprehend it, then the intellect can say, oh, okay, I got, I can understand that now, I can let go of that. And, and it's the letting go that opens the space for the next level to happen. So the key is to have that wisdom and to know when enough's enough and to act. Yes. And to put it, put it. it into action. Yeah, live it. Exactly. That's powerful. Grasping more. Thank you. And, you know, there are two tests in the course that you can apply. This comes from A Course in Miracles. I think it's pretty cool. Um, that you can apply to determine where you are in your own process. And the first question, it's actually the easy one, is when I think of anyone, am I in a state of perfect peace? So that's the first question and the easy one. The second question that really cranks it up to the next level into recognizing that energetically we are one and there's this interaction going on, the second question is, and that person that I'm thinking of in my perfect peace, do they share my perfect peace? And if they don't, then I'm invited to the next level of my work. So if someone's pointing something at me, there's got to be something in me that's in resonance with it that then becomes my next level of work, my next piece of work. So uh, take a a brother of mine I had some encounters with yesterday, and I'm doing my best to have that peace. But if his agitation is showing because I'm present, then that's saying there's still a part of me that's not healed. Would that's that playing. In, that's playing into it. Yeah, that's playing into it. And so when his agitation shows up, what happens for you? Well, yeah, and even though I'm working at holding the space of love, it definitely will raise the stress level in me. Yes. You, you triggered That's for me... That's what I noticed. The, you just lived yesterday. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And so what does that... I know it's maybe off-questioning, but I appreciate you going because I just lived it yesterday and... What would be the work in that case? Well, you know, there's a, there's a line in The Course in Miracles, that, another powerful one that you trigger with this 
with this line of thought, and that is, there is no place so holy upon the earth is the place, pardon me, as the place where an ancient hatred becomes a present love. An ancient hatred Please, becomes a present love. No place so holy upon the earth as a place where an ancient hatred becomes a present love. And in the case of a relationship with a brother, it might be that there's some unresolved issue that might go back to, you know, a silly spat the two three-year-olds had. Mm-hmm. That not being resolved is still energetically playing out in two men who are in their 70s. And wondering why they're at odds with each other. And there's where, instead of trying to figure out where the problem is, there's where the forgiveness process comes in. Because when you look at, well, what's the goal I have for this brother? Oh, I just want him to share this perfect peace with me. And I'm so peeved that he's not. (laughs) So now what do I do? I cancel my goal. Rather than trying to figure out the deep, dark, nasty thing that happened, I cancel my goal for him to share my perfect peace. That would be my worksheet. And when I cancel that, what happens? I'm likely to have that memory surface of where that trigger event came into play. And when I resolve that, he's going to look at me with the same old eyes expecting to do hostility, and all he's going to find is a response based in love. And that's what he'll respond to. That's what he'll respond out of. Mm-hmm. So to tie the, <clears throat> excuse me, to tie these both together, that's not a place for questioning. It's a place to let go. That, that would not be a good place to question why it's happening. Right. Exactly. Right. That's the place that's to the place act for to do the work. Yeah, and for forgiveness to happen. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's another good refinement on this whole idea of asking questions, and that is that there comes a point, I think, where the questioning becomes uh, just a symbol of the effort to try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And remember we talked before, you know, in our codependence to interdependence intensive, I point out several what I call pseudo-solutions of the non-being mind. And the number one pseudo-solution is, if I could just figure this out, and you yes. can't figure it out. But you can forgive it. The mind will go, oh, well, let me see if I can fix this. Let me see if I can find out what's wrong with him, what's wrong with me, what's going on. And all it's trying to do is figure it out. And there's no figuring it out. But at any instant, I can recognize there's something untoward moving in me because I have a goal that's activating that which is in me. And when I cancel that goal and I ask Rooka for support, I can drop into a deeper level of my own unconscious mind and clean it up. And, you know, how deeply embedded is the unconscious mind or what in the ancient scriptures they called the heart? Well, if you talk to a psychologist today, they'll tell us that 90, 95, maybe as much as 98% of our thinking is unconscious. Now, my take is there should be 0% unconscious in us as human beings. So how far are we away from home when we're in that posture of 
cycling old information over and over and over again and not being able to reconnect with love, and we think it's because of something outside of us. And the forgiveness process takes us the next deeper level into our own unconscious dynamics, gives us a chance to surrender those dynamics to love and heal. But the mind wants to figure it out. Yeah, that's big time me, and I've been working on that this last year, learning, and can't figure it out, and I'm beginning to put pieces together. I recognized yesterday that I was getting triggered, and yes, I was able to keep under control with the fact that I was getting triggered, and, and the universe just brought it into this conversation today, which I'm grateful for. I will... I have a lot of time later today to re-listen to this, and it'll be great cool. when I get home to continue more work. So, so. so when you were triggered yesterday, was your first impulse to open the app and do a worksheet? Well, life has been so hectic. <laughs> uh, Yes and no. Oh, yeah, I don't I have was, time for that forgiveness it. stuff. Yeah, I know. Just like the guys in the prison that we talked about last week. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I get it. And uh, and uh, and welcome in. You're, you're correct. Yeah. And then yeah, when I, you I take the there, responsibility. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. No, I'll, I'll hold that thought. Go ahead. I was just going to mention that I, when I left out of there yesterday, I got on the road and and uh, got a place late last night and then back on the road. So I will work on that. And cool. I know you had a thought there. Uh, Go ahead. Could Jeannie. I read something yes, real quick first? Okay. This is in, I was looking up that line in the Course in Miracles, and right. the line about the um, uh, there is uh, the holiest of all spots on earth is where an ancient hatred has become a present love. But I was reading, trying to find that line within that chapter, and because you were talking about your brother, I just want to read these first two lines here. Please think, but how okay? Think, but how holy you must be, from whom the voice of God calls lovingly unto your brother that you may awaken him the voice that answers your call. And think how holy he must be when in him sleeps your own salvation with his freedom joined. However, much you wish that he be condemned, God is in him too. And never will you know that he is in you as well while you attack his chosen home and battle with his host. So it's like... You know, what is in each of us is also in the one that we are wanting to debate with, and we don't recognize our own salvation, much less our brothers. The old matching bags of garbage. Mm-hmm. Why don't you read that again, Gene? That's powerful. I got goosebumps on that. Okay. Um, think but how holy you must be from whom the voice of God calls lovingly unto your brother, that you may awaken him the voice that answers to your call. In other words, God's calling both of you. And think how holy he must be 
when in him sleeps your own salvation with his freedom joined. However, however much you wish he be condemned, God is in him. And never will you know he is in you as well while you attack his chosen home, in other words, attacking the brother and battling with his host. Regard him gently, looking with loving eyes on him who carries Christ within him, that you may behold his glory and rejoice that heaven is not separate from you. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. And that's a course and in it, miracles. That's from the course in miracles. Yeah, it's from the course. Yes, it's in the course in chapter sure. 26. It's called the transition. And so the bottom line of that to me is to recognize that can I possibly become a blessing to another who I've judged while the energy of judgment is in me that would block the blessing and deteriorate it? In other words, to confront the part of your mind that believes he doesn't deserve it. Because that, too, is a projection of your own judgment on yourself. And that you don't deserve it. And that's the part of you that you you have to open to heal. This is going to be some really powerful work. That and what Jean uh, and I talked about a few weeks ago now. I got some homework, folks. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the club. I'm excited to look at it and look forward to it. I got it. I got it. It sounds like a, a, a whole new opening. Yes. Yes, I sense things yesterday and didn't think we it would come up today, but I'm just so glad it did. It worked worked right in. I see the connection with the questioning. Yeah. Powerful. And just to pay attention to what thoughts you're thinking when your breath shuts down as you think about your brother. Because they're the thoughts that are projected and need to be healed. And like you mentioned to me and and then on on the show to all of us, when I'm doing the work, I believe if I'm recalling correctly, that opens kind of like the window for him. Yes. Probably got another exactly. way to put that. Mm-hmm. Well, right. if uh, the, 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 remember the core of the forgiveness definition, the Course in Miracles, and, and the fact that you mentioned window here, and we're down to the last minute, but we'll just go till the show cuts us off. Okay. The section on workbook page 305, and what the exact instruction on forgiveness from Course in Miracles says in paragraph 8 in that section says 
open a curtain in your practicing by merely letting go all the things you think you want, in this case from your brother. Your trifling treasure, the goal you held for your brother, put away, you leave a clean and open space within your mind for Christ to come. By collapsing that whole structure, you make a space for the pure presence of love to show up in your mind, in your genes, in your physiology, in your heart, and transform you. And that's why the Greeks said, let your brother off the hook, because it's a whole lot easier, and you don't have to deal with what's going on inside yourself. Kind of like hides it all. Yep. Well, thank you all. Thank you, Jeannie. Uh, all and Tim and for the shows and we'll certainly keep you posted on the work alright young man we cherish you have a blessed one I cherish you all bye now okay bye bye and thank you everybody for joining us and for the best year yet of your eternal life it's an awesome gift to give the world take care bye bye